Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad podcast, the weekly podcast where I discover through conversations with people who are living an international lifestyle and relocation experts what it really takes to thrive abroad. I'm your host, Louise Wiles, an expat, repat author and a change and transition coach and consultant and I'm fascinated by the world of international mobility and cross-cultural living. And a very warm welcome to episode 79 of the Thriving Bull podcast. I'm so happy that you are here joining me today. Now this is the second in the new series of episodes, Thriving Through Transitions. And I have some amazing guests lined up, all with fascinating stories and advice to share about international adventures, transitions, and what has helped them to ride the waves of change and transition and thrive in their international lives. So make sure you don't miss out and ensure that you have access to the additional resources, such as the super helpful show notes, by registering to receive the Thriving Abroad newsletter. Go to thrivingabroad.com to register. Then that way we can stay connected and you can stay up to date with all the news. Today I'm pleased to be joined by Karen Smedley. Karen is a Brit who relocated to live in Australia five years ago. Karen is a perfect guest for this conversation on the topic of thriving through transitions. As as well as experience international relocation herself, she's an executive coach, trainer and counsellor and also specialises in empowering the over 50s as they work through career and life transitions and age-related issues. Karen is also an author and agony aunt. Enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome. I'm really pleased to welcome to this conversation today, Karen Smedley. Hi, Karen. Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you. So thank you for inviting me. Well, it's lovely to have you joining me today. So we're recording this at the end of 2020 and it's now the 22nd of December and I'll probably publish this in the new year. So I just wanted to give everyone listening that timestamp. Now I'm speaking from the UK and Karen is in Australia. So we are literally half a world apart and living very different experiences at the moment, aren't we, Karen, in terms of COVID-19 and the pandemic? Yes, I'm very fortunate in being somewhere where there is really no community spread. So we're living a very different life. Yes. And in the UK, we're probably heading to another national lockdown because of the mutation in the virus. So very different worlds and very different looks for Christmas, I guess. And also probably very different outlooks for 2021. And that's really what I wanted to talk about with you today. You know, 2020 for many expats has posed many, many challenges. And I think for a lot, there is a sense of feeling a little bit stuck perhaps stuck in a location where people are wondering whether that's where they really want to be or perhaps they've repatriated home and they're stuck at home wondering what the future will hold in terms of expat life and international living. And then there are people who are separated across borders from family members, um, something I know that's familiar to you, Karen, and also perhaps separated from their work teams as well, working virtually. So it's a difficult time for many with much change and resulting transition. And then thinking about 2021, 
Perhaps the people are thinking about making some different decisions and therefore implementing more change and transition. So I really want to focus this conversation on this whole theme of coming unstuck and hopefully looking to the future and some change, maybe a lifestyle change, a career change, and living through that change and transition and and adjustment in the best possible way. And I know, Karen, your work has been with people living through various transitions. So perhaps to start, can you tell people a little bit more about you, um, tell everyone about how you come to be living in Australia, and then about the work that you do? Thank you. So I'm, I'm a coach and a counsellor, and I mainly work as an executive coach, although I do see people individually, and I do a little bit of therapy. I have worked with lots of people who have been going through lots of different transitions. The transitions that, that you mentioned, both from country, um, through jobs, through different stages of their lives. And I um, came to Australia five years ago from the UK. So most of my work has been in the UK. Um, I followed two children, two out of three of my children live in Perth, um, Australia, Western Australia, and decided that it would be nice to have an experience here of working here. So we were able to get visas and to come over to have an experience working here. And for me, it's been really interesting, that transition, in that wrongly, I made the assumption, because I worked in my own business, that I would just walk straight into work and found, of course, that um, that didn't happen, that they did it differently here. They are very relational based. And if you don't know people, it's a smallish city, it's two and a half million. If you don't know people, it's very hard to get work. So I really had to work hard at reinventing myself and finding a way to connect with people. I think I had more coffees with people in that first year than I've ever had in my life, (laughs) where I just met people, talked to people, tried to make connections with people. And I think what was also interesting is somehow I probably deluded myself, but I had a kind of fantasy that everyone said it took two to three years to begin to feel settled and to get established. And I thought, no, not me. But of course it did. And I would probably say that it's now just over five years where I really feel that I have made the connections that were that were needed in order to feel really established. And that's a long time to be in somewhere. And I know for a lot of people when they move, they move um, through a business. So a lot of those things are already set up, but all Mm. your social world and other aspects are not set up. So the connections with other people, if you've got children, their connections with people at school all take time. And I think very often we don't give ourselves the time or think it will take time. And that can obviously then be a difficulty for people. Yes, you made me laugh to myself when you said that you had this fantasy that it would be a quick, quick transition and adjustment. Because I think that's a fantasy that a lot of people moving internationally do live with, despite the warnings. I think it's one of the things you have to live through and find out and discover for yourself. And in my experience, definitely two or three years to settle and adjust and feel at home is about right. And then often people are moving on again, aren't they? So that is the challenge, isn't it, of serial assignments and international living in that sense. So as you said, you've experienced transition, obviously, and you've worked with clients who are facing or moving through lots of transitions. 
So I'm wondering if you could pull from those experiences for us some of the main challenges that you see people experiencing as they face the need to change some aspects of their lives and then begin to make that change. I think the challenges vary considerably depending on what the transition is. And I think one aspect that makes a real difference is whether people have chosen to do something or feel it's been done to them. And sometimes when people move due to one or other partner having work, the other actually feels that it's done to them. Mm -hmm. So it isn't always that even within a couple, everybody's going with with the same um, willingness and joy and therefore managing each other's different transition can also be very difficult mm. and however having said it's different for all of us we go through a cycle when we make a change and the cycle is based on Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work which was around um, originally around um, death and dying but it's around loss and has really been taken on by the those in management and management consultants as um, a cycle for change. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is that very often what happens, a bit like I described, the kind of denial that one has. Mm-hmm. So one starts with um, perhaps a bit of a shock. It's not really like I expected. And then there's the denial where you think, oh, well, it will all be absolutely fine and I don't know what's going on here. And then there's a resistance to begin with where you resist things and a, and a sense of new awareness. And then people move into sort of anger and blame. And I think, you know, just using myself as an example, when I first came here, I had I'd obviously made lots of assumptions thinking about it. I had actually assumed that um, you know, I came from Britain and that my qualifications would just be jumped upon and everyone would think it was completely marvellous. And actually that wasn't the case mm. and that I needed to do quite a lot of retraining. And having worked in this field for 30 years, I felt quite annoyed about it. And there was a point of thinking, I'm just not going to do this. And then having to decide, I may not like it, but if I actually do want to work, it's too bad that they don't think that my qualifications um, are up to scratch or they need their own (laughs) qualifications. I just need to do it. Mm -hmm. So I did go through that next stage of anger and blame. And I was quite grumpy. I was quite grumpy about it, actually, until I went into the stage of acceptance of really going, yep, this is how it is. And annoying as it is, um, I will have to do this. And I was fortunate a lot of what I could do with prior learning and skip quite a lot. But there were things Mm. I had to do. And Mm. then I began to think about um, the next stage, which is actually the strength and recognition in oneself, you know, you come back to sort of reevaluate and your self-esteem and thinking about, you know, what do I bring here and what can I bring to this new experience of having, in my case, do the new, the new training or in a new situation. And then you start to explore possibilities. How can I do this? What's the possibilities? And begin to find meaning in the new experience and moving into the development phase where you grow with it and then you integrate it into your past experience and you really feel as though you belong and you're able to connect without losing what you had before. You really move into belonging somewhere. And I think this transition phase, this um, cycle happens to 
to everyone, what, whatever the transition. And the thing about it is that some of us get stuck mm. and that it's a cycle, nothing's, nothing's linear where, where human beings are concerned. So we will go in, in and out of it and sort of wave in and out of it a bit, but sometimes we get stuck. So again, if I use myself as an example, if I got stuck in the anger and blame, I could still be sitting here five years later without work complaining that they wanted something I didn't want. And it's about support and help, which some of us definitely need at times to get us out of that cycle. So I think it's also about being aware of the skills you have and being able to look at them as transferable skills and perhaps even more important is being kind and compassionate with yourself and accepting this isn't that easy. Sounds easy on a piece of paper, but it isn't necessarily that easy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic lesson in coping with international transition in particular. And I can see how it applies to other kinds of transitions as well. And I can certainly relate to those stages. You know, just this morning, I think I went through some of those stages as I listened and then reflected on the news. You know, in the UK, we're talking about yet another national lockdown. And I felt myself go through denial, frustration. And then I think probably because we're experiencing this this endless cycle endlessly in the UK of up and down the tiers, discussions about national lockdowns, I'm able to fast forward through the cycle. And by the end of, you know, about half an hour of thinking about this, I was actually at the, right, okay, accept it. And how are you going to use the time? So I was able to work my way through it quite quickly because it all felt so familiar. Now, I know it's not a linear experience and we do all cycle back and forth through this cycle. So I may be headed for another dip later tonight, but I'm just wondering whether you think actually managing yourself through this process is also a skill that you learn or does it depend on the type, scale, frequency of the transition? I think I think it is a skill that we learn. I think one of the things that we learn is to accept this is a process. Mm. I think knowing that it's a process, because at the time you think two things, you think it's only me, everyone else is doing this differently. Not that everybody who's listening to the news um, at the moment is, is feeling the same. Mm. And, mm. and also um, by, by knowing it's, a, it's a, a transition, you can actually begin to think about um, and a cycle. What's the next step? What do I need to do to get myself to the next step mm. how can I do that and also I think what we can do is we can catch ourselves when we're blocked mm. and go I've got stuck here for a bit what am I going to, what am I going to do about it and and I do think that sometimes we can do it ourselves and sometimes we need some help so I think it depends on on the transition so if for example you're transitioning out of a job because you've been made redundant Mm. You're having to deal with all the loss and grief and pain of that. That can take time and also the feeling of unfairness and all of those things. Mm. Mm. So that it's, it's harder than, in a sense, the example you use today, which is tricky and difficult. But it's somewhere where one can see there is a way out for, for you in your situation. Yeah. Whereas mm. I think sometimes what happens is people can't see there is a future you know mm. I'm out of work now there's going to be huge numbers of people unemployed how will I ever get a job and they see a blank 
Yeah. And it's about yeah. actually being able to go stop. By creating this catastrophe, it's not going to get me anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, what do I need to do? So it's not about making a totally rosy future because that might be a nonsense, but it's mm -hmm. about what's the small first step I can begin to focus on. Yeah. So what can yeah. I do about this? I could look at my CV. That doesn't mean you're going to get a job. Mm -hmm. It means that you can start the process. Yeah. So it's about small, small steps to get yourself out of, out of it. Yeah. But it's big. I do think being kind to ourselves, I think we're very hard on ourselves and being kind to ourselves and going, yeah, I'm having a bad day today. It's okay. And tomorrow I've got to find a different way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, I think that is so true that we, we expect a lot of ourselves. We expect that we will cope with it. And I'm just thinking, you know, underneath there is a practical side of managing ourselves through transition and identifying the next steps. But then alongside that, you're dealing with your emotional reactions, as you just, just, just described. And it can be a real roller coaster ride, can't it? Because you describe, as you describe the stages of grief, you know, we don't roll through those literally one by one. We go backwards and forth through them. So in one day, we may feel positive in the morning and negative in the afternoon. And I think, of course, we can choose how we think um, and we can try and direct our thoughts. But sometimes, as you say, we have to give ourselves a space to catch up with ourselves. I sometimes think it's in relation to clients who are relocating. You know, they need to take the time to just catch up because when we move as expats, moving internationally, we move so quickly around the world in a physical sense. But, you know, we also need to catch up psychologically and emotionally. And that takes far longer than the physical journey. And so recognising that and building that into our lives is really important. But from that comes the need for self-awareness and the ability to reflect. So do you have tips or advice for people about how they can do that? Because for some people it's easy and for others, not so much. They'd rather just focus on the practical and you know, the doing kind of people. Sure. I think what happens very often is that when we're... Fit, so what happens is that... When we feel down, we will create chemicals that make us feel worse. Mm -hmm. So we, we think we are um, terribly sophisticated, but actually we're a bag of chemicals. And depending on which chemical is whizzing around our body, it will affect how we feel. Mm -hmm. So if I'm sitting there thinking, this is awful, this is a disaster, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, I will produce negative chemicals and I will be feeding myself bad food. So I produce adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, and I feed bad food. If I think positively um, about something, I will create good chemicals of the endorphins and serotonins and oxytocin and dopamine and I will feel good. Now, when we're having a bad time, it's quite hard to focus on something that will be that will be good. But one of the things that can help is to take yourself back to moments that were in your life really good. And it's not about saying it's good now because it's not. But take yourself back to those moments and climb into those moments and live it as though it's now. Because one of the other things that happens is our brain doesn't store time chronologically. So when I sort of climb into a past event, my brain thinks it's now. Mm -hmm. So if 
I climb into it and live it, my brain starts to produce good chemicals which go around my body. And by doing that, and often I would suggest to people, they think of three or four different situations, and sometimes you may want to think of 10, where it was really positive. You create the chemicals, which immediately changes your state. And immediately that your state's changed, your whole way of using your brain and functioning is different because it allows you to get to the part of the brain that does good thinking. Mm -hmm. And then that part of the brain is able to say, okay, so what do we need to do here? When you're producing all the negative chemicals, your um, body is closed down to good thinking and you don't actually know what to do. So I would invite anyone, and I think it's really helpful, even you know, through all the COVID stuff, to change their state. It's not about pretending it's lovely and wonderful. It's not. But managing it will be so much better when you fed yourself good food than if you fed yourself a whole lot of junk that isn't helpful. Yeah, yeah. And then I go down the self-loathing spiral. That's so true. And actually, uh, and I think that's a lovely way of describing it. So often people talk about, well, don't have negative thoughts, think about positive things, but you know that is just such a... It doesn't work. No, it can't can't just go from, well, I'm having a bad day today to suddenly feeling all lovely and positive. And so I love the idea of going back to past positive events and really feeling them. And I certainly do that. I call it my savouring moments. So when, for example, I've just been really fortunate to have a holiday and there were times in the past week which was just beautiful and lovely because we were in Madeira looking at the fantastic views, relaxing in the sun. And so having those moments and being able to take myself back to those really does affect my mood positively. The other thing I do, and I don't know what you think of this, is I have a dog. <laughs> so I walk the dog and I have my favourite walks. Now I've walked those walks in very different moods, but I've never finished the walk in the same bad mood I started it in. And I don't know whether that works for everybody, but for me it does. You know, just yesterday I was in a right funk and I took the dog out in the pouring rain. It was not a nice walking day, but I finished the walk feeling so much more positive than when I started it. So for me, physical exercise, getting out, movement is what helps. You know, it doesn't have to be intense physical movement, but just, you know, being in the fresh air, moving a bit, it makes a big difference. Now, is that just me or can it be true for others as well? I think that's absolutely true. I think for some people, exercise really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And if you're someone that exercise makes feel good, it's really important to do it. And fortunately, you can most in most places you can go for walks and actually going for a walk will make a difference. Actually focusing out and looking at what you're looking at Mm -hmm. and seeing things and also starting to be grateful for the fact that of the things that you can see that actually make you feel good. So physical exercise really helps. For those that don't like exercise, it doesn't quite do the same thing. But just moving off your chair and doing something different will make a difference. So just changing your body, even if you're sitting there feeling very gloomy and you get up and you make a cup of tea, it will have a physical change. Mm-hmm. So. So I think what is important for each of us is to really think about what is it that that does it for me? So for some people, phoning someone, 
Some people feel that just phoning someone or talking to someone shifts their energy. We, it, you don't want to talk to someone who's going to be in misery. But if, you, you know, if you've got a friend who always makes you laugh or you, know, you can always feel comfortable with, it, it changes, it changes it. For others, listening to a podcast, listening to a comedian who makes them laugh, doing something that actually changes your state is, is really important. Breathing is really important because what happens is that when we breathe and we're anxious or in a state, we breathe from the top of our throat. So it's like, <laughs> and that gets our body ready for fight or flight. You know, we're primitive animals and we're ready. And that, again, produces the chemicals that are needed to do that, which aren't going to be very helpful. Mm. Just slowing down your breathing and taking some deep breaths and taking breaths that are equal in through your nose and out through your mouth will get your mm. system, and it can be both in through your nose, it doesn't matter, will get your system to actually slow down and feel different and, again, produce different chemicals. So there are lots of different things that different that people can do. And I think it's about focusing on what you know works for you. So someone says, well, go for a run and a run doesn't do it for you, but sitting and breathing and meditating does, then do that. Yeah. It's about what happens is that we forget what we already know of what we can do. Mm. So I find one of the things that I find very helpful is actually having around the house little post-its that remind me of my strategies. Because right. when I'm actually in a bad place, it's as though I didn't have any strategies, even though this is my field of work and I know what to do. <laughs> but actually just seeing the post-it that says, breathe or go for a walk or do whatever I get, oh yeah, that's what you meant to do. Um, I, can go, I can go do that. Mm. And one other thing that I think also helps is when we're feeling really, really down and gloomy is also to start to create a gratitude diary because there are always good things. And what happens is when we're finding struggle, we focus on the struggle mm. and we don't focus on what actually is good and what are the positives. And mm. so actually... If every night for a month you wrote down five, if you could come up with 10, but wrote down five positives of things, you know, that the sky, the sky is blue. And I know obviously in England, the winter it isn't, isn't blue, but you know, the, the, you know, Robin came to visit or whatever it is. And sometimes it is blue in England, but actually, you know, something that actually you think, yes, and read it and go, yep, things aren't great, but they're also not so bad. There are some positives mm -hmm. as well. Yes, yeah. And that does change your, I think, over time. I mean, the evidence in, in the world of positive psychology is that this, you know, being, having this practice has a very positive effect over time. It's a cumulative effect. So yes. um, worth spending some time doing. Just it doesn't have to take that long either. So I, no. I totally agree. So that that's, so you've given us some really sort of practical um, ways of coping with transition and, and change. And I, I think th those are really, really helpful. So I just wanted to add one other thing was about, okay. um, I, th I think one of the things to also remind ourselves is nothing stays static. We can't guarantee that it won't get worse, but most of the time 
it gets better and it does change. So I think when we're having a bad time or you know, we've lost our job and we feel like this is how it's going to be forever, the reality is it won't be. Mm. It will change. Things will change. And just remembering that. And I think as children, we don't know that. But I think the, as we become adults and um, particularly as older adults, you know that nothing stayed. You know, mm. the, the life does go up and down and up and down and up and down. And mm. you learn mm. different skills in each stage that can help you to be more resilient in the next. And it's about getting out of that mindset is this is it forever because then you're stuck it's about this is a phase it will change yeah yeah I agree with that I'm also wondering what your views are there in in relation to that in terms of your personal agency and taking responsibility for that change because I think for some people who get stuck in the doldrums and the negative cycle it can be very difficult to be proactive in taking the actions that are needed to, to move forward. I mean, sometimes, yes, we need to give ourselves the space to adjust and to just accept where we are. But then we get to the next phase, which is, okay, now I need to take those small steps. And tied up with that, I think, is this whole belief around our ability to move things forward and to make change for ourselves. And for some people, that's easier than others. So you mentioned right at the beginning, you know, being aware of your skills and your strengths and, and, and being able to use those um to move forward have you got other strategies around that that you use when you're working with clients or you've used for yourself that helped you to move forward in that way i I think i think it's really important that some of us are better at this than others in innately that Mm. some of us get stuck more easily than others that some actually love change you know, great, I'm going to have to work at home. That's a, real, that's a real treat. Let me see how I can make this work for me. And for others, it's like, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also about being aware of your change strategy. And another thing that can be very helpful is to think of changes that you've had in your life and what helped you to manage them. Mm-hmm. And to, again, remind you, yourself of, yeah, things have changed over the years. And what did I do that worked well and to use that? Mm. Um, I think one of the things that I feel quite strongly about is that we tend to all think we have to do this on our own. And we tend to, you know, struggle for a long time before getting help. And I think somewhere it's really important for people to early on go, yeah, I'm struggling here. Mm. Who can I talk to? Who do I know? Do I know someone who's been through this, this same kind of move? Um, and who can I talk to and what strategies have they got that could help? So Mm -hmm. actually collecting different strategies from different people Um, and and also getting professional help when you're stuck because our brains get caught up in a pattern and we go into a pattern that we're very familiar and we continue to do that and breaking that is difficult and also we have anxieties about breaking it. It's not going to be familiar. It might be worse. Who knows? So I don't want to do it. Mm. But get, getting help, I think, is really important when, when we get stuck. And sometimes it's talking to someone at the new workplace about how did you manage? What did you do? And sometimes it's getting a professional um, coach or 
counsellor to help you through those phases. And I think it's also important to, to feel, you know, that you give yourself a pat on the back for asking for help rather than I've been a failure. It's because mm -hmm. I'm a failure that I had to go and ask for help. No, actually you're extremely sensible and brave and doing something that is really important. And so knowing that is important as well. Yes, yes, yeah. And I think, gosh, when I think, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at asking for help. So <laughs> um, I can totally relate to that. Um, I, I think perhaps it's tied up with this whole work ethic that we have perhaps in, I don't know, certainly in the, in the UK, you can work yourself out of the challenges you know just try harder just do more and actually sometimes that's completely the wrong thing and you need to step back and not try harder and think differently and somebody who you know finding someone to talk to will help you to do that and see it from a different perspective um yeah and also I think sometimes we lose our sense of who we are as well and so speaking to someone else will give you some insights and, and help you to see yourself from that different perspective and then also tied up with shoulds and limiting beliefs around how yes, we, yes. yeah, yeah. And when we say to ourselves, I should try harder, if we actually knew how to do it, we would try harder. It's not that we're sitting there going, oh, I think I won't try. I think I'll just be as miserable as I want to be. We don't actually know. So we just then give ourselves more negativity rather than going stop what's one tiny weeny step that I could make? Because one of the other things that happens is that we create very big goals. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm now going to go and get a new job where I earn a vast fortune. And that's too big a goal. It's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So you feel despondent. If you sat down and said, so, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to look at my CV and see where I could add something, and you, and you choose a very small thing to do, we then are pleased when we finished it. We produce the chemical dopamine, which makes us feel good, and we actually like, so we become quite addicted to that chemical. And we mm -hmm. think, yes, I've been successful, and it motivates us, and we then do the next step. Yeah. So it's also about thinking of very small steps rather than, the long, the big goal, you know, I'm going to um, fit into this new place that I've moved into. Sure, that would be very nice. But what's the first step? I'm mm -hmm. going to knock on the neighbor's door and say hello. So I've met someone. Mm -hmm. That's all possible. Fitting into the whole new culture is much more hard, much mm -hmm. more difficult. Yes. Yeah. No, I love this first little steps, baby steps forward um that just seems so much more manageable and I think there is a balance isn't there between having sort of this vision which is perhaps meaningful inspiring about what you're wanting to create in your life um in terms of the big things but then you know being sure to break it down and and take baby steps as well one one thought that as you've been talking that has struck me and I've been thinking about quite a bit recently is that when we're working through changes, which we all are facing many, sort of one after the other at the moment in various ways and different aspects of our lives, you know, I think often all the work on changes to suggest that change is linear, you know, when you work in organizational 
psychology and, and leadership, you know, leadership programs that are, you know, step change programs. And, and so we think we should be moving linearly through and we should be successful and that it's, it, because we can plan it, it should be relatively easy. But change, I think, always involves some element of struggle. Um, and I think that's something that we perhaps have got wrong in our thought processes around transition and change, that we think, well, we're moving, for example, taking expats, we're moving to a new location and life is going to be wonderful in this new location because we've made a proactive decision. Let's assume it's a proactive, positive decision. Yeah, yeah. And it's all going to be great. But then when we arrive, we realise that actually there are some bits that are quite tough and, and we feel shocked and surprised and that doesn't set our expectations but the reality is that there in every change there will be tough moments there will be struggle that's all part of it and yet we think that we can smooth over that that we can a bit like you know mm-hmm. you know we can buy everything we want and we can create the life we want through money we we, we don't accept and recognize that actually it can't that can't always happen and there will be moments of struggle and that's absolutely fine How do you react to that? What do you think about that? I think that's absolutely true. There's also always loss as well. Mm. And it's accepting when you move to a different country. Mm. Um, It isn't as though you knew no one and had no life where you were. Mm -hmm. So you're actually also dealing with the loss of some of the bits that, that you're leaving behind. You're dealing with others who may not be quite so keen on you moving because they don't want you to go. Mm. And we then create this fantasy, which in a sense is what I did, was that kind of fantasy of, you know, it'll be easy and it'll be whatever, when the reality is Mm. I didn't know. Mm. And if I'd have actually said to myself, this is going to be a different experience, that's true. This will be an interesting experience, that's true. And it will have elements that I don't know about, elements that are better than I thought, and elements that that are worse than I thought. And um, I will just manage the elements as it happens. It would have been much easier than assuming that everyone would knock on my door immediately and go, (laughs) do you want to to work with us? And then feel disappointed. So it's expectations. Mm are very often what makes us feel disappointed. It's like in England at the minute. Um, if people hadn't had the expectation that they could spend five days together as a family and then had that stopped, but it had always been told it was unlikely, um, people would be sad, but they wouldn't be desperate in the way that some people are now. Yeah. So it's about having reasonable expectations and we always feel fantastic when our, when our reality surpasses our expectations. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. sensible expectations and then beat them is the way to feel good. <laughs> that's brilliant. I think that's a lovely point on which to finish the conversation. I think you've given a whole range of fantastic strategies that people can use to think and help them manage their way through change and transition um so would you like to just finish by giving people some details about you how they can contact you get hold of you if they wish to and then perhaps share the book the couple of the books that i know you have written and that are available which contain some of these strategies and ideas thank thank you so um i run a, a company called experience matters 
it is for for anyone with a bit of a focus on the the older the older worker so it's a coaching and a coach therapy organization that offers team coaching and um, consultancy as well and my website is www.experience-matters.org.uk and I know that most people listening to this are in England so my English number is 07798 and um, I will always call you back because I get, um, amazingly, free calls to the UK. So just sending me a message or a text, I can then um, call you back to talk to you. And on the website, you'll also find some information that would, be, that would probably be helpful for you. I have a second website that, if you link onto that one, takes you to it's with the Experience Matters Without the Hyphen, which is specifically for the 50+. plus. And the books, the books I've written and the reason that I wrote the books is that a lot of this information is held by a few and not by the many. And I wanted to make some of this information that is so helpful to us accessible to more than just a few who were lucky enough to get coaching in their organisations or to have some um, one-to-one input. So the book that I originally wrote was called Who's That Woman in the Mirror? The Art of Aging Gracefully. And it's a question and answer session and it can be read by men and women. And the kind of questions that I've been asked by people and then with a long answer, longer than it would be in a magazine to really explain what's going on and to offer some tips. And the most recent one is called Live the Life You You Love at 50 Plus, um, a handbook for career and life success. And it's got lots of exercises that you can do. And I would really encourage people to, whether it's from my book or from the internet, which is a very great resource, is to read things and then try out some of the exercises. Because if you really try them out, you get a feel. And if you just read it, it often just sort of surfaces on our head and doesn't get into our heart and doesn't get into our gut and doesn't make the change. So there, we're in a fortunate position that there are so many resources out there that um, without overwhelming yourself, read things and try and try and find things out because there are lots of things that can be really helpful. Brilliant. Well, as usual, I'll put all the links to those um, books and your websites on the blog post associated with this episode. So go to thrivingbroad.com and look for this conversation with Kieran. So that just leaves me to say a really big thank you very much for your time today and for sharing your insights and expertise. And thank you for talking to me because I've really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for listening. So many helpful insights and practical tips for thriving through transitions. Now, I think it is so important to recognise that there is loss in many change situations. And as a result, there is a period of transition. And we do need time to work through that sense of denial, anger, frustration. But then there comes a point when it's helpful to recognise the value in catching ourselves and taking a decision to take a next step however small, and begin to move forward so that we don't get too stuck. And also remember to be kind to yourself in the process 
and ask for help. So many, many thanks to Karen for joining the Thriving Brew conversation today and for sharing her wealth of insight and experience. Remember, you can go to thrivingbrew.com to find out more about Karen and find links to her website and contact details. You can also register there for the Thriving Board newsletter so I can keep you up to date with all the latest podcast news. Next week, I'm going to be sharing a fantastic conversation with Derek Loudermilk. He's an adventurer and entrepreneur with great insights to share on the subject of thriving through his many transitions. One to look out for, one I'm sure you'll enjoy. So that's all for today. Wherever you are in the world, please stay safe and well, and I'll be back soon with the next conversation. Bye-bye for now.